Hello and welcome to this audio edition of the Ex-Mormon Files with host Earl Erskine. Thank you for joining us. On each episode of this program, Earl, a former LDS bishop, interviews a former Mormon guest about their journey out of Mormonism and into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. These stories are encouraging, fascinating, and often moving. For more information on the Ex-Mormon Files internet video program, please visit exmormonfiles.com. That's exmormonfiles.com. And now, here's Earl. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Ex-Mormon Files. I'm your host, Bishop Earl. I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Uh, this week and the next, probably the next three weeks are going to be very enjoyable for me as we interview an individual. And I think anyone in the Mormon Christian debate will know my guest. He's well respected. He's on a very, very short list as one of the most influential people in the LDS debate on history and doctrine. And it's a privilege for me to welcome Grant Palmer. Thanks, Thanks Earl. for coming. And I think most of you probably know Grant's story. He's also done some interviews on uh, uh, sacredgroves.net, thank you, and, uh, and John DeLynn interviewed him in mormonstories.org, I believe that is. So you can see uh, extended interviews with, with Grant. And also he has a website, um, grantpalmer.net and mormonthink.com. So when you and they're just full of information and, and very well read. In fact, the Mormon Think Grant, you're telling me that how many hits does that uh, get? Well, the last I heard from the founder, he said two to three million a month. Can you believe that? It's it's just exciting. Well, let me just give you a quick little rundown, and then we'll probably repeat some of this information. But uh, Grant is married. He has four children and thirteen grandchildren. He has. Um, as as my, you probably know, he has two books, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins uh, by Grant Palmer and also The Incomparable Jesus. And we'll talk more about those as our time goes on. But these were instrumental in my coming out of the church. So I, we'll talk about that when that comes. Um, uh, Grant was in the church education system for 34 years, including three times as an institute director. And on a personal note, I actually live in the ward that, uh, that Grant grew up in, uh, over in the Kenwood area, in the Mill Creek area. And I knew his mom very well. I was in the bishopric there for four years when, when she was alive. And so again, it's a thrill for me to, to have you here, Grant. And kind of like we start out usually is just get to hear a person's story. And you were born in the church, were you? Yes, yes, <laughs> I was. Yeah, you were. Grew, grew up, uh, did all the things that were expected, and went on a mission. Yeah, and your family was actually from generations all the way back to Nauvoo, is that right? Yeah, 46 generations on all sides. Yeah. Uh, I think my grandfather's brother was a, a General Authority's first quorum of 70, Charles H. Hart. Um, I forget the years he was in, it was like. 1910 to 25. Wow. Yeah, so. And he was. Uh, we were pretty stalwarts. Yeah, and your family, uh, now your mother, uh, her brother was Mickey Hart of Hart Brothers Music. Yes. Is that right? And yes. also wrote church songs for Jesse. Jesse Evans Smith, Jesse Evans Smith. Joseph Fielding Smith's uh, wife. Yeah. And uh, 
I lived two, two doors away from Mickey, so I got to meet and talk with Joseph Fielding Smith on a number of occasions. And uh, oh, same with Bruce and Amelia McConkie. They lived in our ward as well. Yeah, in fact, I, I've heard the story. Of course, I, again, live in that ward, but uh, that Bruce McConkie would actually walk from his home there in Mill Creek all the way to the church office building. And you were telling me that that's when he did some of his Mormon doctrine <laughs> writing. Yeah, he did. He would... He would uh, walk from roughly 20th East and 33rd South, clear down to the old church office building. Yeah. And he'd take, his, his book Mormon Doctrine is, is, uh, was written uh, uh, alphabetically. alphabetically yeah. So he would take a, a subject like Aaronic Priesthood and he'd think of everything he could think of about that subject. While he was walking. While he's walking down, then he'd quickly write it down and then the next day it'd be the next subject. Wow, that's yeah. how he got the Mormon Doctrine written. <laughs> and when he... Uh, when he finished Mormon Doctrine, he, uh, he gave the first two copies to my father and, uh, wow. and Mickey Hart. And he says, now don't ask me any more questions. Because <laughs> Mickey was always asking him <laughs> yes, doctrinal questions, yes. I guess. Yeah. So the church was just everything in your life, I guess. Scouting and ironic priesthood. Ward shows, ward dances. Uh, remember the old golden green balls? Green and, balls. I mean, your, your life really centered around the building. Yeah. The church building. Yeah, around the church. And just never any question that it wasn't, uh, that, I mean, just, it was true. It was just the, it was the way of life. You grow up that way, you don't know anything else. Yeah. Well, so did you, uh, you said you went on a mission. Where did you, where did you go? Uh, Central Atlantic States mission. That's uh, Virginia, North Carolina. Okay. And uh, that's probably one or two or three missions now. Probably, I yes, but, yes. But very successful, I understood. Yeah, that. 1962, I think we led the world in baptisms. I was very much a part of that, but uh, they started to kind of go off the deep end and do get kids in or something? Well, I had a program called BabUFAM, which stood for you can baptize the family by getting these American motor cars that, uh, that uh, George Romney provided all the missionaries. And, and we'd cruise elementary schools and, uh, and junior highs and then offer these kids on the way home a ride. And then that was our foot in the door. Oh, and uh, get to meet the family. And they yeah. thought this was a marvelous idea. And I remember in a in a conference meeting and raised my eyes and said, this, this sounds like kidnapping to me. And that was, that was negative thinking, believe me. But that was right at the end of my mission. And oh. I had plenty of success legitimately, but yeah. it really got out of hand. They were baptizing kids in swimming pools and had a picture of Jesus and yeah. the devil with a spear. Whose side are you on? And if you're on Jesus' side, then we need to baptize you right here. And then it'd oh. make out the paperwork. And uh, I think in, in one park in Danville, Virginia, missionaries were actually banned from uh, from uh, being in public swimming pools because of this. this <laughs> baptizing kids in the Yeah, and then, something. you know, it just, I mean, they were baptizing 800 a month uh, in August of 62, as I recall. 1,200 in August, or in uh, December of 62. There were, there were wow. nine, 10,000 baptisms. Uh, Imagine the church eventually put a kind of a stop. To well, the they did. I remember uh, my mother's, I'd write home and my mother would ask Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> and he just kind of shook his head and he says, we've got to start sending more doctors out as mission presidents and less salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had a, a real good idea, they thought. But uh, they, you know, I mean, Marky Peterson eventually came out and interviewed these 
kids and no one knew the name of the church. They hadn't heard of Joseph Smith or the Book of Mormon. They were all members. And uh, my companion and I were doing uh, um, kind of school of the prophets. We were, even though they'd been baptized, we were teaching, kind of teaching them. Teaching what the gospel was Which all is kind of hard on a 19, 20-year-old because you don't get the credit. To, yeah. And it was very much, we couldn't even go to sacrament meeting unless we had an investigator in my mission. Oh, wow. So it was, but we were very successful legitimately. But this mission president and uh, uh he he was my stake president too in yeah. this mill creek area yeah. I, and i loved the man i really did I, yeah. but he he had an extension and then peterson decided no extension <laughs> you're going home <laughs> you're going home well in terms of your testimony i mean you were the oldest of seven brothers i understand yes and uh, so were you the first to go on a mission i guess yes First of everything, yeah. I first guess. to get married, first to graduate from college. Okay, do you feel like you had a testimony of the church? Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was so uh, imbued with a missionary spirit that I, I came into the church education system, which I taught there for thirty-four years. So I, oh, I was so one of these missionaries. Mission. Yeah. Two weeks later, he's got earrings in his ears, and <laughs> I was, I was pretty dedicated. Okay, so you'd read the Book of Mormon, of course. I don't know if you'd done that before your mission, but you had a testimony of the Book of Mormon and just... Well, you know, not really. I mean, we went to Virginia, and uh, I had never read the Book of Mormon all the way through. I mean, Mickey Hart was going to give me five bucks if I read it. Was he? <laughs> and I got a second Nephi and quit a couple of times. This is your uncle. Uh, and then we, yeah. I remember we, uh, my companion's name was Miller, and we went to this first cottage meeting. And um, and this guy was a, a colonel in the Pentagon. Oh my! And I mean, you know, Alexandria, Air, uh, oh yeah, uh, Falls Church is where I lived. Right, that's where the Pentagon. And I was kind of scared. I mean, here's a guy who's a you know colonel in the Pentagon, and and my companion gives the lessons, and and then uh, Deaver said to me, he says, "What about you, son? How do you feel about the Book of Mormon?" I says, "Well, I believe it's true. I hadn't read it." <laughs> At least and my companion got out of, out of that out in the car. He says, "You don't say you believe this. You, 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 you know, know it." it. And, uh, so that's the way that went down. <laughs> but at least you had a you had a testimony of the. Oh, I, the, I had a wonderful church. mission. I, yeah. I grew an awful lot. I mean, it, it yeah. was, uh, and, and we baptized lots of people, and it, it was a very uh, good experience. They really do a lot for an individual, and terms of meeting and dealing with people and different situations that people run into and, and just life, you get more experience. I, uh, I certainly appreciate the mission I went on. Yeah, the LDS Church is very good for people that are coming out of dysfunctional families and yeah. prisoners, inmates, where I worked for 13 years yeah. at the Salt Lake County Jail, because they give you a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you go into the C now you you actually after your mission you start up at the U. Do you go to the up to the University of Utah and get Yes, I got a, a bachelor of BA in history, uh -huh. American history. American history? Yeah. And were you going to teach? Were you going to write? What did you think you'd do with Well, that? I started out in philosophy and I noticed oh, all the graduates were sweeping the streets on machines in Salt Lake City <laughs> and I thought, well, that's no, no good. So I already had enough for a minor, then I went into speech and the same thing, then I landed on history. That's why I got the Bachelor of Arts, I had two minors, 
and, uh, and then history. Okay. Now, did you go from there to BYU to get your master's? Or yes. was there something in between there? No, then I went to B, uh, BYU and, and got a master's degree okay. and in you history. Had you married by this time? Yes. Yes, I was married in 64. And I graduated from the University of Utah, I think, in 65. So oh. in 67, uh, finished the master's. Down, down at BYU? Yes. Okay, and then so then then you went and decided then. Now, what was your degree in, at BYU, the master's? Uh, it was in uh, American history and Western history and church history. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, church history. Okay. Yeah. Then we then then we went off to New Zealand and taught school. Where I taught. Well, that's what I was going to ask. You you then decided to go into CES. Did you have to back in those days? Was it as well? I don't mean to demean it, but was it as difficult to get in? I understand yes. now it's. It's more difficult or something. It was and difficult back then. Maybe oh, was not, it still? Maybe not as difficult. Yeah. But it was still difficult. You had to apply and oh, be yes. interviewed. And, oh, yes. Yeah. Did your connections help at all with uh, knowing the McConkies or the, do uh, you think any of that ever helped or? No, I don't know that it did. Uh, it helped me. I thought it might help me in grad school because Bruce McConkie wrote a letter to get me in grad school. But, oh, uh, down the wire. James huh? Clayton, who is my uh, principal, history professor at the U, he wrote, says I was a late bloomer, which was true. <laughs> and uh, the chairman of the department says, I didn't pay any attention to what McConkie said about you, but I was very impressed with Clayton. <laughs> with Clayton, and that's how you got in. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So then you decide at that point, okay, I'm not going to teach history. I'm not going to, uh, I'm just going to join CES. And but you actually went to New Zealand with the idea you would be teaching history and science, I did right? teach junior high science and uh, British Empire history. And, and I, was, I was just kind of tired of school. I, I had a teaching assistantship for the Ph.D. on BYU campus. In other words, to be a... Oh, after your master's. Yeah, to okay. be an instructor and go forward. I also uh, was thinking of going to Harvard Divinity School, and, uh, and my chairman was going to <clears throat> write a nice letter... There's a, there was a professor, I think it was Warmer. No, that's not right. Warmoth. Uh, so I was considering that, but I, in the end, I just decided that that um, that I was I needed a break. Had enough school. <laughs> Had a, yeah. Well, you did almost all your work for the PhD, though. You were saying. Not at that point, no. Uh -huh. And so then I went to New Zealand, stayed there, and then came into the religion department. Then I was hired by uh, the CES director. Uh, uh, his name. Anyway, and then I did seven years and then I did a sabbatical, went back and, and taught half time at BYU. Oh. They considered you half time. Okay. And, and did my 90 hours of coursework um, <clears throat> towards a PhD. I, I, they didn't pay you for getting a PhD, and, and the typical in PhD the is uh, no, they give you $1,000 more, is all. And uh, I had three, four kids, and, uh, yeah. and I wanted to stay in the institute program anyway, so. I, I just continued that way, and um, and it just uh, the typical PhD in history is uh, s about seven years, oh, six seven years. So I didn't, I'd, I'd spent two years. I didn't yeah. want to spend another four or five. Now back in New Zealand, you actually uh, you were you were an officiator in the New Zealand Temple. Is that oh, we did everything at stake. I went 250 miles, and uh, oh my goodness, I think my wife and I had like. Seven callings between us. Uh, oh. You were just, you know, 
well used. Temple officiator. Uh, yeah. I was a Sunday school president. I was a young men's president. I was. Uh, what else was I? Temple kept, kept you busy. You went. You did sessions in the temple. Yeah. At temple officiation. Now, what school were you actually at? Was it a church? An LDS yeah, church it was college? A church, uh, church College of New Zealand, it's called. It was a is it still there? No, they just tore it down. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, shows how old I'm getting. <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> but so, so the school's not there. They have the college in Hawaii, but not uh, New Zealand's been... Well, they call it a college, but it was really a kind of a, a junior high, high school, maybe at the end even a junior college. Mm, okay. And... Uh, and uh, they just started out full blown. The Maoris were not getting into in, into into public education, so the church stepped in. They do that when they there's not adequate educational oh. opportunity. Oh, okay. And so that's how that went down. The Maori. That reminds me of a we we have a common friend. I won't mention his name, but but also had a relationship with the Maoris and the mm. New Zealand folks and. Uh, uh, they have a pride, don't they, about being Lamanites or Nephites or having oh, come from... Very much so. Yeah. And is that because we've taught them that? Or we LDS, I mean, well, for the sure. LDS have taught them that. I've wondered how, what, if they still think they're Lamanites. I mean, sometimes the water doesn't get down to the end of the row, you know, on, yeah. on the information uh, trail. Yeah, the DNA's been pretty, pretty well proven that... Uh, yeah, I think they come out of... Uh, Indonesia, Indonesia yes, yeah, yes. just came down through the, Indonesia. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know how. Uh, I know how that I, works. If I were to say that to our common friend, I'm sure I'd get a very yes. strong argument. <laughs> so, but anyway, you come back then from New Zealand and come to California and, and actually. Yeah, I was the institute director, director in uh, Whittier, California, Whittier College. Okay. Where Nixon graduated from. Yeah. Okay. And I was there for three years, and then. Uh, and then, uh, then I took this, this seven-year sabbatical. After seven years, you could get a sabbatical. Came okay. back to BYU, worked on the PhD, okay. and then went back to Northern California, where I was institute director. Oh, that, stayed that was there Chico. six years. Chico, California. Chico Paradise, they call it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then uh, went from there to my wife's uh, mother was ailing, and we came back here, and they didn't have a position open, so I, I ended up at uh, Brighton. Seminary. Oh, teaching high school. I taught school. there a few years, and then I, the last 13 years of my career, I volunteered to go down and to be the institute director at the Salt Lake County Jail. Okay. You know, I'm going to back up just a little bit back to California times, even New Zealand. Did you run across anything in those eras or periods of time that made you kind of scratch your head and think a little bit about what am I teaching here and what, am I, what do I know about the church? <laughs> Well, I, I've always op been open and shared with people. And uh, when you're at a one-man institute, and that's what I was in... In New Zealand? No, oh, not so I'm much sorry. there, but in, in, in Southern and Northern California. Okay. One-man institute. You, you're it. You, so I prepared 30, 30 different courses of studies because oh, I have the same students, you know. And the, a lot of questions, I guess, and, came and up and stuff. You know, sometimes they, they specialize. This teacher's uh, very good at Book of Mormon. This one's good at New Testament. This one's good at Old Testament. This one's good at marriage. Uh, I had to be <laughs> everything at to everything everybody. to everybody. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I, <clears throat> in the course of my preparations, I found things and I just put them on shelves. Yeah. Just thought you'd deal with them later, or it'd all get worked out, or something. It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, when you come back from uh, California to Utah, you, uh, as you said, started teaching at Brighton, and during that was between like 1980 and 1988, as I Yeah, I actually started remember. East East Seminary for a year, and then I Went transferred to Brighton. to Brighton because it was much closer to my home. Okay. So and I stayed there until 88, so seven, seven years. Boy, I, I learned to be a better teacher, but it, it, going from the university level to, to high, school. high school was challenging. Very few people had ever succeeded doing that, and, uh, and you were I wouldn't <laughs> say I was that great a seminary teacher, but I, I did become a better teacher, and in the end, I did pretty well. Oh, good. I'd call myself it? a B teacher. A B. <laughs> nah, I'm sure that wasn't true. But during this 80 to 88 time period, something happens about 1984, when Mark Hoffman and the Salamander Letter and some other things kind of hit hit the news. And tell us a little bit about your involvement with that. I know you actually met with him a, a few days before the actual bombing occurred. Is that right? And I met him. You yes. met him and he even had his Olympus. Uh, uh, High school jacket? High school what? jacket on. Really? And, yeah, a sports jacket or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that got me interested again, yes, in, in some of the... But I was back here now. I was closer to the uh, the MHA, the John Whitmer meetings. I was closer to the archives. Mm. And so and it kind of... <clears throat> in 84, it rekindled my interest in history. Okay. With the... Uh, before, up till then, you'd been just teaching curriculum and Yes, yeah, so I'd always had an interest, stuff. but I didn't really take a deep dive yeah. into it until this salamander letter with Mark Hoffman emerged in 84. And just for information, the MHA is the Mormon Historical Association, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so tell us then what uh, kind of, Im what was involved with this uh, the salamander letter. I know the Tanners actually came out yeah. at, uh, at some point and talked about not accepting some of what Hoffman was doing and was surprised the church was so active in acquiring these documents. Well, the Salamander letter was a, a letter exchanged between W.W. W. Phelps and Martin Harris, as I remember. It's getting yeah, I know. long ago. <laughs> they, can look it, they can look it up. <laughs> but the, the angel, uh, when Joseph went to get the plates, he saw something like a toad that had transmogrified into an angel or, or, or scary uh -huh. person and threw him down the hill or uh -huh. physical abuse. And, of course, that's not what you read in the Pearl of Great Price in no. Mormon Scripture. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that caused quite a stir. Yeah, and was it based on some comments that, uh, that the family or someone had made back in the 1820s? or? <clears throat> Well, we we had a number of sources. Something like a toad. Uh, 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 Mark Hoffman had actually got his idea for for the letter from a, a neighbor of the Smiths, who were told by uh, Joseph Senior, like six months before Joseph claimed to get the plates in twenty September twenty seven, yeah. that <clears throat> that something like a toad had appeared. Oh. To him, and and, and uh, so Hoffman, Hoffman liked that, and took off and, that, and put huh? that in his letter. In fact, he he was up here in this. Uh, very few people know about that. Uh, oh, there's a restaurant up here, just just up the road here on the forty forty fifth South, or yeah, forty eight South on. Uh, sure. Um, 
he got the idea and wrote it on a napkin, and then he went down to this iron park here, just just below 48 South, and yeah, and wrote it out. And that's where he came up with that. And then yeah, he... so he used that source. We also knew about. Uh, uh, I had found a source in the New York Herald by one of the Saunders boys who had heard that something like a toad had appeared to Joseph Smith, and Michael Quinn had found one by a presiding bishopric member by the name of uh, Kelly in the RLDS church. And uh, he went back and interviewed the, the Saunders, and the first thing he says, how come you didn't give this to the earlier? He says, well, because they were against Joseph Smith. <laughs> but but Kelly was a, was a religious person, and he also says, yeah, Joseph says that he was, it was something like a toad. And it, so we had three of those, and yeah. Quinn and I swapped Information. And, Information. Yeah. I, I gave him the New York Herald, and he gave me the, yeah. the other. So we had three on that, but then you get into the Emma side of the family. The Lewis is over in Harmony, Pennsylvania, and they have uh, they have uh, uh, focused not on the toad, but on the scary old man that, that becomes from the toad. A Spaniard or something. Yeah, a, a headless Spaniard. And yeah. There's three or four or five uh, Crazy. Uh, sources on that. So we had about eight sources. Did Mark Hoffman ever come up with anything genuine, or was everything that he did the? I know he had letters from Harris or Whitmer or somebody. Was any of it? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. I don't think so. Okay, everything was. Yeah. Was was forged. He started his career when he he took a dime and changed the date and made it more valuable and sent it back and it was authenticated. That started his career in crime. Made him think he <laughs> I can got fool something people. going here. Huh? Yeah, I can fool people. Oh boy. Well, believe it or not, we're getting actually close to our Woo. getting through here. So, uh, uh, but anyway, that had a big impact on you from a standpoint of kind of making you think history again. Yeah, I, I decided to take a look at it. I wrote a big paper. I sent it down to several professors at BYU. They thought this ought to be published uh, because, you see, um, along the way, one of the senior historians at the, at the Joseph Fielding Smith Institute was asked to, uh, uh, to do background material for the, the person who had purchased the document, which was Steve Christensen. That's Mac Christensen's son. He used to be yeah. president of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Well, we're going to have to pick this up in our second half. For oh. our next one, okay? All right. I did want to mention that Grant, uh, grantpalmer.net, it's just a fantastic website, and it's got all kinds of things on it, and like he said, two to three million and probably more hits a month. But it, Grant's put out three new articles and a fourth one, actually, on the atonement. But Zachariah's second coming, did Jesus exist, and question and answers about the New Testament canon. They're very good reads, and you'll uh, benefit from looking those up. Anyway, I appreciate you com coming, and we'll visit a little bit more here in a minute, okay? So. This has been the audio edition of The Ex-Mormon Files. The Ex-Mormon Files is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City. For information about this program, including past and current video episodes, please visit exmormonfiles.com. From there, you can also download audio episodes of this program. If you have an ex-Mormon story you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Please write us at contact at exmormonfiles.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon. Music